Roots routine. Okay, folks, we are officially going live here. <laughs> hey, hello, I am Boyan Fierst. And I'm Rebecca Caho. And you are listening to Rural Roots. A Harris Center podcast that asks, what is rural in the 21st century? And today we are going to do something very different. Actually, when we're recording, we're in a small room. It's just the two of us. We're nestled on campus at CHMR, the radio station. Today is very different. What we are going to do is we are going to do, record this Rural Roots episode live as part of the RETI 2018 Symposium right here in St. John's at the beautiful Signal Hill campus. RETI is a network of 27 or perhaps 28 recently <laughs> island-based universities spanning six continents, all interested in developing closer research and education collaborations between the member institutions. And this year, we are hosting our island's calling here on the island of Newfoundland at Memorial University. We've got over 50 delegates who will be participating over the course of the conference, and we just couldn't pass up the opportunity to learn more about the role that these island-based universities are playing in the development and also the cultural lives of their islands. And of course, we're going to do something very self-serving. We are going to follow up a couple of teams that we have been discussing throughout our Aurora Roots episodes, and those are... Uh, all settled around the rural-urban interactions and the engagement between the universities and the regions that they are situated in. So to do that, we've pulled together a fabulous panel uh, from slightly further west, but not too much further, uh, the University of, U of Prince Edward Island. We've got uh, VP Academic and Research, Robert Gilmore. We have Carmen Rubio Armendariz as the Vice Rector of Internationalization at the University of La Laguna on the Canary Islands in Spain. And Matteo Graziani is the Vice President of International Relations at the University of Corsica in France. From the University of the Highlands and Islands in Scotland, we have the Director of European and International Development, Linda Stewart. And last, but most certainly not least, is our longtime colleague, David Lowe. He is currently executive in residence at the Faculty of Business Administration here at Memorial. But David has spent his entire working life, most of his working life, as a public servant. And uh, his latest role was deputy minister with Nunatsiavut government, so in the north of this province, indigenous government in the north of this province, uh, for culture and tourism. So the way that we're imagining that this episode will work is that we have a question or two for each of you, and you can answer those, but we also want to make sure that everyone else feels free to share insights that are related to those questions as well. And to make sure that the recording goes smoothly, we'll ask you to pass the microphone to each other. One thing to keep in mind is that microphone has to move with your head. It can't <laughs> move independently of your head. <laughs> and do not fear the mic. It can be relatively close, and we'll get a great recording. So let's get started. Uh, we're going to begin with Robert. So just like here at Memorial University, the University of Prince Edward Island is the only university in that province. And just like here in our context, your main campus is located in Charlottetown, which is the most urban part of PEI. Uh, as an urban university serving a largely rural population, how do you balance that within your research, teaching, and public engagement mission? Thank you. Um, I have to smile a little bit when I think of Charlottetown as urban, but it is more <laughs> urban than the rest of the island. Um, and essentially, we have two very simple strategies. Uh, one is to go out where the people are and engage them where they live. And the other is to create attractants that will bring them into the university. 
So let me just give you a couple of examples uh, with respect to outreach. Uh, we have at UPI the Climate Research Lab, and it um, is very interested in the uh, <clears throat> uh, coastal erosion and, and other uh, uh, aspects of climate change that, are, that affect uh, infrastructure. And so we go out, uh, Adam Fennick, who's director of the, uh, of the research lab, goes out to uh, eight to 10 communities each year, and he has a, a, a virtual uh, reality um, instrument. It's, it's essentially a game. Um, and people can see what the effects of uh, increases in sea level will be in their local um, domains. And uh, the, the reaction to that is, is typically uh, uh, non-uniform in the sense that uh, uh, the parks system, for example, says, well, that's nature's way. We're just going to let it happen. Um, people who own land on the island typically own land away from the water, and so they say, we'll move back. Mm. Uh, people from away who have built uh, vacation homes on the water to be on the water uh, are very unhappy that the province hasn't passed some law that says we're going to armor all the shore or dig a moat around the island or whatever. So that's been a very successful way of engaging uh, people, again, where they live. Uh, we've also created a, a, a series of seminars, and this was uh, originated by Harry Baglow, who unfortunately has passed away, uh, to bring people in to talk about uh, things that are of interest to islanders. So water use, land use, municipalities, immigration. And those have been very well attended, not only by people from the community, but also by people from the provincial government, from the private sector, and from the university itself. And um, unfortunately, uh, as I said, Harry's passed away, but uh, Jim Randall has picked up the mantle uh, for those and uh, had uh, the first of the Harry Baglow seminars um, uh, just this, uh, this last week. So we will continue to do that, and I'm sure it will continue to be a very successful way to engage uh, people from around the island. Linda, my next question is for you, and I apologize in advance if I'm going to sound like the biggest fan of the University of the Highlands and Islands, but I love the model you have developed. It's a very distributed learning model. Can you tell us a little bit about what does that university look like? Oh, th thank you for your kind <laughs> words, Brian. And a big thanks to MUN for hosting the RETI conference in, in 2018. It's great to be here and see so many of our friends from RETI uh, again. Um, the, the area that I come from, the Highlands and Islands in the far north of the, the United Kingdom, is a very special area. It's, it's the furthest north part of, of the country. It's a large area with over 90 inhabited islands and also a very sort of small population. Basically, the region itself covers round about 500 kilometers or 300 miles from north to south. So large, large area in, in UK terms, perhaps not in Canadian terms, but for us uh, as a region, it's a large area, but a very small population. The total population is round about 400,000 people. We've got one um, large town, Inverness within that, uh, but it is only around about 70,000 people. So real issues historically about distance, peripherality, difficult terrain, lack of infrastructure, and until recently we didn't have a university based in the region itself. Um, that, that was an issue because how do you possibly build a traditional university across such a diverse region? Um, with, with, with the difficulties of economies of scale. 
Throughout the 1990s, we began to look at a different kind of university model, which looked to take advantage of the developing information technology to link people up in different areas and different subject matters. And therein uh, came the, the concept of the University of the Highlands and Islands. In summary, we are a distributed model of university covering the entire region. We have 13 different academic partners within that, that, that uh, network and over 70 local learning centres in some of the most remote island communities of, of Europe. We've used technology to bring all of these 13 partners together um, and, and they, they are a very interesting grouping of independent institutions. Some of them are very traditional, small vocational colleges, we would say further education colleges, looking at the local training needs of, of their, their area. Some of them are very well-established research institutions, like the Scottish Association for Marine Science on the West Coast, which has a history of over 100 years of international research in that, that area. Um, some of them are specialised colleges, like the, the Gaelic College, Salmorostig, on the Isle of Skye. Um, but we bring all of these partners together to create a university. It's not an easy model, and it's certainly not a cheap alternative of, of pulling people together, but it's what our region actually needed. We worked very hard. We achieved university title in 2011. Our international um, aspect has been really important, and we've been just so proud to have been part of, of RETI over the, the few years, continuing to learn about other universities facing similar challenges. But I think there is a growing realisation that it's not all about challenges and difficulties. It's about using the resources that we have as positive things. And I think that's particularly interesting and important in an island context. Okay. Uh, we're going to move to Carmen next. So Carmen, uh, the context in on the Canary Islands is slightly different from, uh, from any of the jurisdictions we've just mentioned. Uh, the University of La Laguna is located in a very urbanized place, um, but half of the outer islands in the archipelago are very much focused on tourism and they're facing some of the familiar small island issues that we hear about, youth mi out migration, high unemployment, challenging demographics. Uh, you're also positioned between three continents and the university of course sees that as a major opportunity. Um, what are you doing to balance meeting local needs with those sort of international expansion opportunities? Well, hello everyone. First of all, thank you to Memorial and to Reti for organizing this event. We are very happy to be here. We are a delegation of four members, five members of the Canary Islands. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to share this time with all of you. First of all, uh, the Canary Islands, just to let you know, is a very small archipelago of seven islands uh, and it's considered one uh, outermost region in the European Union. So that gives us an opportunity but also many challenges. So uh, the great challenge that the Canary Islands faced a long time ago, uh, almost 225 years, was 
to retain the talent in our community. So that was a decision of the Spanish government to open the first public university in our islands 225 years wow. ago. So that was to provide our uh, community and our people the education, uh, the level of education they needed. Uh, later on, a second uh, public university was opened in Gran Canaria Island, and the vice chancellor is here with us too. Uh, so first of all, that's what uh, we offer our community. But uh, we realized also a long time ago that the undergrad programs were not enough. So it was not only uh, training our young people, we had to keep in, uh, engaged uh, with the uh, industry, government. So we, we keep it very aligned. Our strategies and our degrees are very aligned what uh, uh, the community needs. Mm. Uh, so there is a, a fluent dialogue with the government and other institutions and companies about what uh, master programs or doctorate programs and in, in research do they need. So we have developed and help our community to be uh, excellent in certain areas. And those are the opportunities that we offer, not only Europe, but other uh, Spanish uh, communities, but also uh, the African neighbor countries. So our location uh, in the middle of the Atlantic, being the thousand, thousand point of Europe, at only 90 kilometers from Africa has been a, a, a disadvantage transformed into an opportunity. So we offer all the European uh, safety and uh, advantages, but at only 90 kilometers from Africa, which uh, serves as a logistic point for uh, shipping companies or any other company providing services into Africa, and also for connections and so on. And also we have a, a, a use the, the good weather or the good weather conditions that we have been blessed with, like being, we call it the California of Europe. So we receive 20 million uh, tourists a year in a community that we are only 2 million people. So uh, that brings us to a another step is not only graduate, postgraduate uh, um, schools, but a lifelong learning service to our community. So we develop, we help our regional development offering lifelong learning programs uh, uh, in the needs of our community. So that's the service and the university is the center of the culture uh, of um, the debate and uh, in a sense the knowledge of uh, the community in the Canary Islands. Mathieu, the same way that I love the University of Highlands Islands for its distributed learning model, I have to admit that I don't miss Europe. I miss the Mediterranean. <laughs> he, uh, say, he says as the wind howls past the window. <laughs> uh, yes, for those who are listening uh, later as an episode, you will hear the howling of the wind because I can hear it through my microphone. Uh, we, You are situated on the island of Corsica in the Mediterranean. And uh, one of the strengths that Corsica has is this incredibly rich linguistic heritage. And, um, but it also comes with so much more. Um, Corsica is famous for some of its food products. In terms of tourism, you are one of the 
parts of Mediterranean that has, seems to have found a balance between not too many tourists, but not too few either. And um, you, a lot of those well-known agricultural products come from rural regions. So how does the University of Corsica connect that rich heritage, both linguistic and natural and cultural heritage, and how, uh, and how does that impact your focus on encouraging students and faculty mobility, which is a big deal for Corsica, uh, for University of Corsica? Like how does all that come together? Yeah, th thank you, Boyan. Well, thanks, everyone. Um, first of all, of course, I'd like to uh, thank our host from uh, Memorial University and say salute all your friend, all our friends and colleagues that are here. It's always a pleasure to see that people from far away uh, manage to, to gather all together. Well, concerning the University of Corsica, um, it's, it's, it's a great idea that you invited us to be part of this program because Corsica is uh, historically a very rural island. Even if now um, most of the people live on the seashore, and so it's getting more and more urbanized, but the backbone and the background, the historical backbone and background of Corsica is rurality. Um, the University of Corsica, for instance, is located in the uh, inner island, in this very small city, compared to the scale of some huge country as Canada. Cogocorti, uh, the city where the university is located, uh, has like maybe uh, 7,000 uh, people, which is like a big village, actually. Um, the commitment of the University of Corsica, uh, as you said, is first of all to, um, I would say to the people, uh, there is a reason to that. Um, the University of Corsica is both a, an old and young university. It was first opened in 1765 uh, during the independence time, and it was shut down after the, the French conquest of the island. Um, so it took us more than two centuries to reopen it, mostly due to the will of the people with protests and uh, social um, uh, commitment. People wanted the university to reopen. That's why when this happened in 1981, so we are now a modern university of like almost 40 years old, um, it was decided that of course, the main course, the main curriculums would be uh, law, science, literature, and so on. But we would have to focus on specificities uh, directly related to the history and the future also to our island, of our, our, our island. So uh, our main fields of studies uh, try to be relevant and related to the need of the island and of the, our people. So mostly, of course, um, Folklore language and um, social linguistic studies are core of our programs. Uh, um, sustainable energy as well, uh, natural resources, and then I'll come to to answer more precisely to your question. And of course, uh, marine biology, uh, one of our latest uh, achievements. Um, so, being committed to the people of the island means that we have to to be at least good, um, if not better, than uh, other universities on mainland because, as you all know, living on an island is also come, comes also with many uh, difficulties. Uh, concerning mobi mobility, we try to uh, advertise what we do best, especially concerning the way we can help local productions. Uh, you mentioned uh, food and um, 
some uh, fruits and, and wine. We have some a big team of researchers that are committed into helping local producer developing or improving or even sometimes finding again the old ways of producing on a more authentic way. That comes also uh, in a great deal of activities in our marine biology uh, facility, uh, which is which uh, which works in direct relation with the local fisheries. So to make a very virtuous circle of uh, research, uh, technology transfer to the fishermen, and um, how do you say that? A way to replenish the. Uh, uh, the amount of fish, sorry for my bad English. <laughs> um, of course, the other main, um, main activity uh, of research and uh, education is about uh, culture and uh, local culture, language and folklore. Um, the University of Corsica has been, I would say, probably the main actor of the, uh, first of all, the salvation of Corsican culture in the, like 30 or 40 years ago, and now is, a combined, uh, is going along with many scholars and students, some of them are here, uh, to advertise that, at least in the Mediterranean, when we were with Sardinians, uh, people from uh, the Balearic Island as well, and all probably people from Scotland as well, some, some of them are here. Um, concerning mobility, uh, it's for, it's, for us it is a way to, uh, to promote who and what we are. Um, and on the long run, we discovered that it was actually, first of all, what, what was um, supposed to be something very um, personal or that would concern only locals was becoming more and more um, um, an advantage, an asset of attractivity. Mm -hmm. um, in our, many of our program, in our especially Erasmus program, we uh, gather some students, especially in those kind of studies, because, uh, well, first of all, Corsica is supposed to be an attractive island, um, but there is not only for the, the beauty of the place, it's also because um, now we manage to, um, to be uh, acknowledged and recognized in some field of studies, and we can get people, of course, first of all, from our, our natural neighborhood, like Italy or uh, other uh, islands of the of Western Mediterranean, but also from other places. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move to Dave next. Uh, so Memorial University does have a long history of public engagement and of collaboration with the people and organizations of the province. That goes all the way back to our founding as a memorial to those who lost their lives in World War One and World War Two. Um, and I do think that the people of this province have a sense of ownership of memorial, as, as they should. We are the sole institution. And as a result, there are many, many deep relationships uh, all across the province, Newfoundland and Labrador, where we see collaborations that are deep and longstanding um, and, and that have been really productive. So Dave, you've been involved in various roles over your career. Um, plenty of partnerships with Memorial uh, in the past and also today uh, with your role as Deputy Minister with the new Nazi of the government. And I was hoping that you could uh, just speak to us about how organizations like yours and some of the groups you've been involved with in the past view Memorial as a resource and uh, dare I say as, uh, you know, as a, there's that sense of ownership as well. Could you speak to that? Yep. Well, thank you very much. 
<clears throat> the uh, we're sitting in a in a room overlooking Signal Hill and the North Atlantic, and the winds are gusting at seventy <laughs> kilometers, and we're reminded that we live in a in a challenging environment, uh, and also St. John's is positioned on the eastern part of the province, and it's a long haul to many of the remote communities, and there's some real differences that the university faces as challenges in terms of outreach. And there's been an evolution. And as a practitioner, as someone who has been involved in the communities for, uh, <clears throat> for over 40 years, the university has always been there in, in changing roles uh, as a support. In the, early, in the 70s, it was empowerment of communities. It was organizing. It was an extension service of the university that was reaching out uh, to the communities. That evolved, and in the, in the 80s, there was a creation of the Labrador Institute uh, for Northern Studies, it was called at the time. And uh, one of the main reasons for that creation of that institute in, in Labrador was the health education and the real need to get information to the medical profession uh, in rural and remote areas. And so the university kept evolving and increasingly bringing research to us. So I was, I've had an opportunity to work in different capacities and, and recently with an indigenous government. Uh, and we evolved to the point after settling a land claim and the university played a key role in the, in the creation of a land claim by the research that was necessary uh, to file a land claim and to convince the federal and provincial governments that there was a, a, a strong uh, claim here. Uh, so it was the, st the land use of the people that was documented, it was the history, it was the archeology, span uh, all aspects of the university got involved. So the, and we are really evolved to a stage where we now are able to have really uh, strong partnerships with the university. Uh, collaborations that uh, are uh, detailed in memorandums of understanding which uh, uh, enable us to access money through the Social Sciences, Humanities and Research Council, which are national funding for social sciences, and through other vehicles, the federal and provincial government. The, it's really important to ACOA and uh, our Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, our regional development agency, uh, that, the universe, that we work with the university that we have the science and the information to back us up and to, back, and to evolve the, uh, the communities, uh, whether it be through research on climate change or housing or folklore, uh, all of it being important. And uh, so I think we've, we've come a long ways in terms of supporting rural development in the communities uh, uh, and the university's important role. I'm working right now at, with the School of Business in a couple of, and with the, the Harris Center uh, on a couple of projects. One of them was succession planning. And I think that's an area that all of us need to uh, address and become uh, better at in terms of uh, not only having people ready to take on positions and groomed for positions, uh, whether it be in the private sector or in the universities or in in the uh, in the communities and but also that information uh, is evolves so that 
people know the history because we do have a changeover of a lot of people in different roles. All of us evolve in our careers. And for us who were working in the field, uh, was a, a, a real resource. Uh, the university's evolved, it's empowered people, and through technology and through uh, greater expertise has been able to do more. But I think probably one of the biggest success, and, and, and again back to succession planning, is that we have a situation now where uh, with an Inuit government, for instance, in Northern Labrador, uh, people who uh, are running the government now uh, have graduated from Memorial University, have done postgraduate work, uh, have had opportunities to be exposed to other areas, to be part of, of groups like this, uh, so that they uh, have a, a greater view uh, and a, uh, of the world and they can be back in their home communities uh, really uh, contributing. And I think that's the ultimate evaluation of a university is the empowerment of the, of the communities. And I think this, this university, Memorial, has done a great job over uh, a long, you know, a, uh, 75 years now or 70-some years. So thank you. Do you have a question? I do, yeah. but I was going to ask. I see Linda seems to be <laughs> willing, seems to be eager to ask something. Did you want to ask a question, Linda? <laughs> I, I just wanted to pick up on what Dave was saying there about the importance of ownership of the university and um, the, the sense of empowerment for communities. I think that's something that's really, really important for particularly important for rural and remote communities there where perhaps there haven't been opportunities in the past along the, these lines. And so much of what you were saying there is very, very relevant to us in the, the Highlands and Islands of Scotland um, as, as well, particularly working very closely with your regional partners. We have a particularly strong link with our regional development agency, Highlands and Islands Enterprise. We work very, very closely with employers across the region and with the local authorities as well, and the voluntary sector, because it is very much part of the community there. And of course, well, the, the original need for a university grew out of that, but our curriculum and our research activities reflect that. Again, looking particularly at things like um, rural healthcare provision um, and how technology can be used to overcome some of the distance problems in, in all of that. Um, our mode of delivery as well reflects the fact that people living in island communities, for example, are maybe not able to come across to, to attend classes in, the, in a traditional way. So we've, worked, we've put a huge amount of investment into our blended learning provision, which looks at the whole range of how you deliver higher education from face-to-face -face lectures, using video conference, in, at, um, whether it's at the same time or asynchronous learning where um, lectures might be recorded and available online, right through to some courses which are entirely online. But the important thing is the blend so that you can actually adapt to what the local communities and to what your region's needs are. And that's something that's just so important to what we, we've been doing. Six out of our 13 um, academic partners are island academic partners reflecting what their needs are. And to us, it's just been so important to 
grow that sense of empowerment for local people. It's giving opportunities to local people that weren't there before. But there's also a sense of there's something exciting happening here, which is attracting other people from elsewhere into the region, which changes the, the, the nature of what we're doing. And I think that, that that's really essential to a lot of our rate discussions as well, empowerment and involvement of people. Anybody else wants to chime in or you seem to have a question? I was just wondering, um, I, I, we heard a little bit from Dave about sort of a, a, a large-scale specific initiative related to some of the work that happened with, with the land claim. Um, and I'm just wondering if there are any examples, if, if, if there are any specific examples from any of your universities that you'd care to share that, uh, that suggest the, those sorts of deep connections. Connections with rurality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, when we when the university was reopened in 1981, the, the main region when it is located was a very remote and rural uh, region. I mean, at least in in such a such modern times, yeah. it was not always the case. But having the university reopened in that region heavily contributed to preserve uh, population and attract new infrastructures, roads, buildings. And for instance, uh, we have many students who, um, when there is no more room, I would say downtown, even if it's a small town, um, um, an important uh, number of students uh, find their housing in the villages nearby. So they contribute to uh, redynamize uh, mm -hmm. small, remote rural areas. Um, and it's also important for the economy. And um, this is probably the, the first aspect, the, the most uh, visible aspect. And of course, in our fields of research, we, we worked a lot on uh, rural and local traditions, uh, especially in music and folklore and language. And we gather, uh, for instance, um, uh, so if, if, if for instance, so, someone who uh, inherited, uh, you know, old books, ancient books, they can come to us and we have a special service to uh, uh, scan all these documents from the past and then uh, provide them to the whole community. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is the same also in some uh, local production, whether fish, uh, some uh, fruits or um, um, natural, um, how do you call that, herbs and plants, right. endemics, typical local uh, plants that we help to develop so that we can get back to, uh, especially in cosmetics, local uh, products, uh, to, to, um, to use the ancient know-how to make science with it. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, there's one example on, on PEI uh, where we, um, through the, the Climate Lab actually, have uh, engage the Mi'kmaq people um, much more effectively than we had in the past. Um, there's a, an enclave of Mi'kmaq on Lennox Island, which is uh, connected to um, Prince Edward Island, at least at the moment. Um, but they're at uh, high risk uh, for uh, erosion. Uh, and it's not a matter of uh, if they will need to leave the island, it's a matter of when. And of course, they've been on that uh, piece of land for a long time and have um, seen what has been happening, mm -hmm. but now uh, we can make more accurate predictions on what's going to happen in the future, and they now are making their decisions about are we going to adapt, are we going to move, what are we going to do? And um, it's, it's really uh, created a partnership um, that's been um, 
very valuable for the university, um, but also um, has uh, uh, provided them with a sense of empowerment that they, uh, they hadn't had previously. If I may. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to pose like another challenge that right now, for example, in the Canary Islands we are facing. Uh, well, we are an archipelago, which is a little bit uh, different territory from what you have. We are divided into different islands, so mm -hmm. each island is like a local community with different traditions. And although we share the same language, we, we eat differently, we, we have different uh, lives. So uh, most of uh, the students and the people had in our uh, the two public universities in the biggest islands, like the reference. Before, before we were created, we had the reference in Madrid, the capital of the uh, country, or other big universities. For but for many years, uh, the two big public universities were the reference for our uh, politicians, uh, our community, and our leaders. But uh, just going to bring this subject on the table is that because we have become such a rich community and populated community in Spain, uh, the academic world has also become like a business for uh, some uh, companies and businessmen. So we are now facing the um, challenge of uh, competing not, all, not only, only with a national universities or institution or European, but also with private universities uh, being established in our community. So uh, that sense of ownership or reference or identification that we had, we have had for many years years uh, in the community that uh, uh, we were the university of our people, of our locals, uh, is now being transformed because we are now ha have a total of five universities, three of them be being private institutions that uh, uh, try to compete in the recruitment of students. And there is like a lack of, and also the governments uh, um, like their business. So so it's like we are facing this new model that other big uh, cities are facing uh, in a rural, regional uh, uh, territory which was never before prepared for this. So keeping the identity, the love of our alumni, uh, not only in the Canary Islands but outside, is very important. So we, we try to keep our alumni uh, busy and presence in our university and uh, we need to encourage our community to still uh, um, love us and consider that we are their institution. Mm. That's very important mm -hmm. for us. I have so many questions, but we can't be selfish. We have to close this episode and we have to let the floor cast the questions. <laughs> so, um, should we do that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. These are very conservative organizations. They adapt very slowly to change. And so, although it's great to talk about how uh, universities are doing wonderful things, uh, for, especially for marginalized populations, those that are at the margin, um, Maybe as an academic, I'm a little bit more skeptical on how those universities can actually change. Um, and so, for example, indigenous viewpoints, worldviews, and how those are incorporated within a university structure, whether it's promotion or tenure, or whether it's the research, etc. cetera. Uh, women and other minorities, and how they're represented in universities. 
So uh, it's great to sort of say that we've got wonderful things going on, but uh, I'd like to really figure out what the real world is happening in a university and how it actually, how you break down those barriers within universities to make sure that different viewpoints are represented and other populations can feel that they are part of the university community. I'll take a stab at that. It's, uh, I think we need to do better on evaluation. Uh, we really need to uh, t take snapshots of how we're doing and, and uh, how we can improve it. The university here certainly evolved a lot through, through some of it, through that feedback and, and the changing uh, place. But I think we have to be better at evaluation of projects uh, with the communities participating in the evaluation and, and owning you know, the, some of the uh, follow-up. Uh, and, you know, and back to the point that I made on succession planning, I think uh, uh, you know, that's part of the evolution as well. The people are changing and we need to, uh, to groom and find more people who are going to be able to play roles uh, so there's, uh, we're reaching out to uh, people who haven't participated before, and the indigenous community is becoming more engaged now, for instance, in this province, but there's still a long ways to go. And, but the youth and youth in, uh, at risk and, and a number of other groups really need to be part of the, uh, the evaluation as well to, you know, what role does the university play? And uh, so I think being, being uh, really... Uh, self-evaluation and evaluation with communities is, I would see, is key. I, th I think that's a fascinating question, Jim, and I think it shows you, you, you really understand just how universities work and some of the real challenges that, that, that we face. It's certainly been a big issue for us in the, the University of the Highlands and Islands, coming in, firstly, as a very new university and quite a small university, but mainly as a very non-traditional university and a non-traditional structure and governance. Now, that does cause tension with the rest of the sector. Um, like, I think, all, all of the other groups represented uh, today, we are all operating within the higher education sector, which includes universities with centuries of experience and tradition and really good strong ways of delivering higher education and research. How do you come into that with a different kind of model? It is difficult, and I know we've had the tension of trying to match these two areas together. You want to create something that's different, and it has to be relevant to your particular region, and your model is different. But how do you make sure that you, you're, you're fitting into the sector as well? Um, not even to, 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 to look at issues of quality assurance and the need to evaluate what's happening and in, ensure that you have the highest standards. We often observe that we must be the most evaluated university in the whole of the UK because people are interested in what we're doing, but of course, rightly, are saying, well, can you guarantee that your quality standards are the same? And we do. It's hard work, but, but, but we do. But there is that tension. However, I think we also have to be very clear about saying we don't want to be traditional either. We actually have a lot of strengths, particularly in areas that you're mentioning about wider access for underrepresented groups, for looking at new ways 
of promoting lifelong learning issues that can sometimes, we've found, been a bit of a challenge for traditional, well-established universities. But it's things that we do without thinking because that's the way our model has, has grown. And I think we all need to work at reducing that tension and not assuming that things can only be done in one way. There are different ways of delivering higher education and research. Now, just uh, just a few a few words about you. You said, of course, it's true what you said about the uh, sometimes the, the resilience to change in, s in small communities, and especially uh, talking about Corsica, which is a, we have which has a very traditional background. One could say sometimes it's difficult to embrace change or to 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 prepare it. But for instance, we we, we built a part of our um, international uh, policy to uh, international students on uh, what we could uh, share with them concerning uh, our culture and language. Of course, the, for so far, the only official language in Corsica is French. But every every student, every, every student, every uh, for international or foreign students that comes to Corsica, wherever they come from, they are to take Corsican class so that they can share uh, part of our heritage. And um, most of the time, it's what students from afar like most because um, most of them, they, they would never have thought that um, such a thing would exist because um, most people know Corsica for maybe the landscapes and, and so on, but um, most of them, when they once they get there, they get um, involved in uh, local communities, uh, music life, and uh, many of them live in small villages, so they get in touch with um, a population that sometimes is uh, elderly, uh, with not much services or infrastructures, and the students, and especially the international students, they play a very strong part in the uh, in the student life of the city where the university is located. Um, so for some of them, first it's a, a culture shock at the beginning, <laughs> but when they leave, uh, sometimes they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't like to leave. <laughs> for us right now, there's a little bit of schizophrenia, um, frankly, on PEI in the sense that we have a, a very substantial local population, which used to make up about 75% of our students. And a number of, that there just not, haven't been jobs on the island for them. And so we actually train them so they will go someplace else, or they'll be able to go someplace else. But over the last five or six years, the international student population has grown from 8% up to about 27% now. So we have people from away coming to the island, and we want them to stay. And in fact, we've just uh, created a new program called Study and Stay uh, that will help to segue them from the university into the private sector. So on the one hand, we're encouraging people who come to the island to stay on the island, but at the same time, we're also training people who are on the island or from the island to be able to go elsewhere. And um, I, I think, again, it's, it's designed to um, be relevant to those two different groups of people or two different groups of students. Uh, so far, we don't have the issue that you have with respect to private uh, institutions. Um, so everything is still uh, running through either the university or through Holland College. Yeah, again, really serious issues uh, for us, particularly, again, relating to some of the rural and remote things that we've been discussing about. Um, 
The reason we've had so much support from our regional economic development agency is because the Highlands and Islands, and particularly the islands in our region, had such a problem with um, the lack of young people, a lot of challenges of the, the demography of losing young people prior to having a university in the area. Typically, young people would leave to go to university, but just wouldn't come back. And that was happening generation after generation. Huge detrimental impact on regional economic development. So having a university there is good because you've got another choice for young people. You're attracting other young people in. It's also really good when you look at what happens next. Um, looking at um, higher quality jobs being available for young people once they've graduated by having a university actually there. Also looking at the support you're giving to uh, business. Uh, we saw some wonderful examples of that last night and the, the, the tours and I think we can all um, relate to how we need to be out there working with businesses and giving that very specialised support to the key sectors of, of your region. Um, one of the things we're doing just now is uh, working with the University of St Andrews in Scotland on GP training um, for people living in the north of Scotland um, and doing a sort of basically a, a, a sort of very specialised course to get people with science degrees trained in general practice because we were losing so many people in rural communities because we couldn't attract doctors to the area there. So people with young families weren't going to stay if that provision wasn't there. So I think it's having that, that overall view of things. I think it's very much about working together to share our experiences, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next few days here. Let, let me just quickly finish off with a story that you might be able to, to relate to. I think it is, again, very much about looking at challenging attitudes um, to, to what's happening. Um, a few years ago, um, our very first... First Minister of Scotland, Donald Dewar, went on a visit um, around Scotland and he went to the Isle of Harris. And relate to that with your Harris Centre here. And, and my good friend Matthew is, is one of the biggest proponents of Harris Tweed. But this is a very, very small, remote island, one would say, on the very far west of the Outer Hebrides. So if I get my direction right, it's is it just across there. Mm -hmm. So the, the landscape that you're looking at from Harris is very much similar to what we're looking at here. It's just at the, the other side of the Atlantic, neighbours. So he was taken on a tour by this, this lovely elderly lady, Mrs. McLeod, who stayed on a croft. She'd lived there all her life, just at the edge of Harris, looking out across to Canada. And he stood there. And he said, ah, Mrs. McLeod, you're guy remote in this place here, aren't you? And she looked up at him, because Donald Dewar was a very tall man. And she said, remote from what? <laughs> and I think that's the kind of attitude we need to think. Remote from what? Rural from what? So, uh, first of all, we want to thank all of our panelists one more time. Dave Lowe of Nunatsiva Government, Linda Stewart from the University of the Highlands and Islands in Scotland. Carmen Rubio Armendariz from the University of La Laguna on Canary Islands in Spain. And Matteo Graziani from the University of Corsica in France. And of course, Robert Gilmore from the University of Prince Edward Island. Rural Roots is a partnership between the Harris Centre, Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation, and Rural Policy Learning Commons Partnership. 
We recorded this show uh, in the middle of what used to be a raging snowstorm and actually has calmed down quite significantly since we began here at Memorial's uh, New Signal Hill campus in St. John's. And you can hear all of the episodes of Rural Roots, 34 now, uh, on our website, uh, ruralrootspodcasts.com. That's ruralrootspodcasts.com. Or you can find us on your favorite podcasting app. You can also hear us on community and campus radio stations across Canada. If you'd like your station to carry Rural Roots, just let them know and they can look us up on the Campus and Community Radio Program Exchange or they can just get in touch with us directly. I'm Bob Fierce. And I'm Rebecca Cahoe. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>